Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Luca DeLosta. And I'm Zach Green. In today's episode, we will be previewing the Bengals vs. Ravens AFC North Divisional Matchup. We will be recapping the Los Angeles Lakers vs. the Golden State Warriors NBA game. And we'll be talking about the Ben Simmons situation. Let's get into it. Alright, Luca, let's get into this Bengals-Ravens game. Bengals coming off an impressive win versus the Lions, which a lot of people thought it would be a trap game for them after a heartbreaker versus the Green Bay Packers in a 25-22 loss in overtime. Bengals have an average score this year of 24.7 and an average time of possession of 32 minutes and 34 seconds. How do you think they can feed off this in this game? They can feed off this by giving the offense or the Ravens defense a mix of different looks by feeding, obviously, Joe Mixon the ball, who's played amazingly this year, top five rusher, in which he's had 111 rushes for 480 yards and three touchdowns, as well as 13 catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. So mixing that with the passing, especially with Jamar Chase playing really well this season, but they also have other weapons such as Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. Now, how do you think Jamar Chase could be an X-factor in this game? Well, I think this is his first true test. I mean, they, he would have gone up against Jair Alexander in the Packers game, but he was on IR. I think this is his first true test at a real, legit Pro Bowl cornerback, and I think he's probably going to get doubled a lot over the top as he is so strong off the line. I was watching a lot of highlights on him. He is a big playmaker down the field. I think that Baltimore might have to limit that in this game because he most of his touchdowns is, are over 50 yards or more. He's had some big-time plays, and the Bengals are also third within two minutes of the half left. They are third in the NFL with 28 points scoring. So I think that's also a big factor in this game. Yeah, also Jamar Chase coming off Rookie of the Week again. But I want to go back to something I saw watching review for this game was the Bengals offensive line has given up 16 sacks which goes to show that when passing their offensive line has struggled a little but when running they allow Joe Mixon to find holes and obviously get the yards that he needs now I say that Joe Mixon is the player making this happen or allowing it to happen with the skill but it was just an interesting fact how do you think the Bengals O-line can make a difference in this game? Well, I think it is very hard against this Ravens defense as Don Martindale comes into this game. He shows a lot of schemes. I watched the Chargers press conference last week, and Justin Herbert said that they were showing things that that they didn't see on film. They show a lot of blitzes, cornerbacks coming off the edge, Jimmy Smith, and others such as Chuck Clark. I do think last year the Bengals only put up six points in their two games versus the Ravens. A lot of that was because of Marcus Peters, who was injured in this game, coming in. Let's talk about this Bengals defense. Defensive standout in Logan Wilson, in his third year with the Bengals, is second in the NFL with four interceptions. I think he's a big difference maker in this game. Yeah, Logan Wilson has gotten four interceptions in his last five games, but I've also noticed that the Bengals' pass rush has been much better than it has been in previous years as well as their rush defense and that could be because of their front four who are made up of Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, Larry Ogunjobi, and Sam Hubbard. 
Now, this front four or their rush defense has only allowed 90.5 rush yards per game, under 4 yards per attempt, which is pretty good, and only 5 touchdowns. Yes, and they've also faced some top runners in Dalvin Cook, David Montgomery, Najee Harris, James Robinson, Aaron Jones, and DeAndre Swift. And I think two or three of those came in top five in rushing last year. Let's talk about this completion percentage that they're allowing. They're only holding opponents to 68.5 completion percentage with 6.1 yards attempt. That is a big improvement from last year, as they also have added players like Cheetah Bayouzier and Eli Apple. However, they are going against Lamar Jackson, who has been playing really well this year, actually putting up numbers better than his 2019 MVP season. So it will be interesting to see how they come out against the Ravens' electric offense with Lamar Jackson. All right, let's move on to the Ravens' offensive side of the ball with Lamar Jackson, like you mentioned. On the season right now, he is 131 for 194 with a 67.5 completion percentage nine touchdowns and five interceptions, with the overall QB rating of 99.3. Now, Lamar Jackson, a place of improvement he should be looking for is completion percentage with only a 67.5 completion percentage, as well as passer rating with a 99.3 passer rating. Now, Lamar Jackson is obviously an electric runner, but this year he's stepped up in the passing game a lot. However, it will be interesting to see what they come out with against this Bengals defense, who rushing-wise have come out playing really well. Yes, I have to agree. The Bengals last year, people forget, they held Lamar Jackson to, in the first game, only three rushing yards. But what worries me this year is when the Bengals have played like people like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, they have been really hurt in the read option game. Trevor Lawrence got a touchdown off of it, and Justin Fields really killed the Bengals in the third and fourth quarter with it to seal the game off. And the read option is obviously a big factor in the Ravens offense with a QB like Lamar Jackson. Especially with their deep threat in Marquise Hollywood-Brown, who has had the best start of his three-year career so far with 32 catches for 486 yards and five touchdowns. Another one of their big threats with Mark Andrews, he has 34 catches for 468 yards and three touchdowns. Luca, how do you think that the... Mark Andrews' game can affect the Bengals' defense as the Bengals have not been that effective versus the tight ends this year. Mark Andrews can be a big factor, obviously, usually being Lamar Jackson's number one target, and in the past few weeks, he's shown that, especially against the Colts and last week as well versus the Chargers. If Mark Andrews can be impactful and get open down the field, he can catch that ball and run. He is a big guy, but he can move the ball down the field really quickly. Let's also bring up a another receiver that the Ravens just gained last week in Rashad Bateman coming off injury. He had a quiet four catches and 29 yards last week, but he can be a big factor in this game if he does get open. However, let's go to the Ravens run game where Latavius Murray getting a touchdown last week. However, he is out this week. However, Devonta Freeman coming off his biggest game this year so far with nine attempts for 53 yards and a touchdown, as well as Le'Veon Bell getting a touchdown last week. So it will be interesting to see how they work this run offense with Latavius Murray out. Now let's switch over to the Ravens' defensive side of the ball, where they played extraordinary defense last week, especially passing. What can this Ravens' pass defense 
do to slow or even stop this Bengals passing offense. Well, it's funny you say that because as I'm a Bengals fan and you're a Ravens fan, I think that the Ravens' key to success this week is blitzing the heck out of Joe Burrow as they had success with that last year. But they can really, I think, send pressure off the edge with rookie Adafi Elway having a great start to his season and veterans like Justin Houston and Calais Campbell. Their pass defense is coming into this game a little banged up, like we said before, with Marcus Peters out, which makes players like Anthony Averett having to step up, and Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott. Let's talk about this Ravens rush defense. The Ravens rush defense has allowed 82 rushing yards per game, 4.1 yards per attempt, and have given up six rushing touchdowns on the year, which is about a touchdown rushing a game. Their pass defense, however, has given up 7.3 yards per attempt, but has kept QBs to a low 63.8 completion percentage. However, going back to the poor side is they've given up 9 touchdowns in the air. Now, obviously, the Ravens' pass defense should be looking to keep the Bengals in check this weekend. Let's move into the later of the two NBA opening night games and the 75th anniversary of the NBA with the Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, the game was a great game ending 121 to 114 in favor of the Warriors. So the Warriors starting the season 1-0 and the Lakers starting the season 0-1. Now in the game, Steph Curry recording a triple-double with 21 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. However, he did not have that great of a game for shooting-wise. He shot 5 for 21 from the field. However, from the free throw line, he shot 9 for 9. And what does that represent of Steph Curry? That represents that he is so efficient that even on an off night, he can record a triple-double and put stats up for the Warriors and help them win. But it wasn't just Steph Curry who put up numbers for the Warriors that game. There was also their 2019 first-round pick, Jordan Poole. How do you think he impacted this Warriors team? I think you can really stretch out the floor, and especially when people like Klay Thompson come back, such a lethal shooter. I think Jordan Poole is very versatile. He can finish, he can shoot, he can play defense, as he did have the steal. And I do think he's a big impact on this team with other big people like Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. Draymond Green, however, didn't have that strong of a game. He did bring in 8 rebounds and dish out 6 assists, which is a common Draymond stat line. However, he did lead the team with 5 turnovers, so he had a had an on-off game. How about Warriors bench power forward Bielitsa? He did play great. He had 15 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists with a 23 plus minus. I think he can really help this team by backing up this team like a great defender in Draymond Green. Now on the Lakers side of the ball, they did lose, but LeBron James still found his way, shooting 13 for 23 from the field, recording 34 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal, and a block. LeBron James shooting shots he hasn't shot in previous years, shooting a lot more threes, and even shooting a couple step-back threes. Incorporating this in LeBron's game will be lethal, right? It just adds another weapon to his already huge inventory. He can do whatever he wants on the floor most of the time. He can finish. He can shoot. He can 
he can play with the defender, basically. He can do what he wants them to do. He has been in this league for as long as I can remember. He is a all-around weapon on the court, and I think he is the second greatest of all time behind Michael Jordan. However, it wasn't just LeBron James who played really well that game. Anthony Davis, recording 33 points on 15 for 26 from the field, 11 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, and 2 blocks. Anthony Davis being involved in a lot of the Lakers' offensive plays, running the pick and roll, he can also do pick and pop, shoot a 3. I think he is honestly maybe their number one option offensively, just ahead of LeBron. However, Russell Westbrook didn't have the game he wanted, didn't he? Yeah, he went 4 for 13 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3, and people like to call him Russell Westbrook. He recorded 8 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, with the same amount of turnovers as assists with 4, and a negative 23 plus minus. In all, Russell Westbrook did not find his way in this Lakers debut. But one thing I want to point out is, after that game, LeBron told Westbrook, after his poor performance in that game, do something that can put a smile on his face. And I think that shows great leadership in LeBron, especially after Anthony Davis said that's a similar thing LeBron told him after his debut with the Lakers. And that is great leadership from LeBron, as you said. Let's talk about Rajon Rondo was also quiet in this game. Yeah, Rajon Rondo coming back to the Lakers after going to the Hawks and then to the Clippers last year, as you said, starting quiet. Recorded only three points, going one from three from the three. But however, he did dish out five assists, which is more of Rajon Rondo's game is passing. And we have to also bring up Carmelo Anthony with 26 minutes off the bench with nine points, three from nine from the field with four rebounds and had two assists. But he did have a negative five plus minus. Let's talk about this Ben Simmons situation. Yes, Ben Simmons signing a five-year, $177 million extension in 2019 in which he's guaranteed $33 million in 2021, which is this season. However, it doesn't look like he's getting that money. So, let's start with Ben Simmons' playoff performance last season. Let's talk about that. He only had 12 points per game, 9 assists, and 8 rebounds. He also only had 34% free throw percentage, meaning he did have to sit on the bench in the close last minutes of the game because all teams would do would just foul him, send him to the free throw line. He would make usually make 1 out of 2, and then they would just get the ball right back. And as a player like Ben Simmons, where you're considered a franchise player, it's not acceptable to be sitting on the bench in the last minutes of big games because you can't shoot. And that's a big reason why Doc Rivers said, I don't know if he's a championship point guard yet last year. But this, I think, angered Ben Simmons, and this started all of what's happened so far. However, let's talk about the situation right now with Joel Embiid saying how he's still a brother. I don't agree with Joel Embiid saying he's still a brother, especially with how he's been acting towards the team as of lately. He goes to practice for the first time, and he gets kicked out for a lack of effort. If you go to a practice and you're an NBA player, as Joel Embiid said, their job is to play and produce on the court. If he is not going to show up, get him out of here. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want him on my team if you're not going to show effort. It brings the morale of the team down, and it just shows that he doesn't care. 
And another point is he put his house up for sale in New Jersey for five million the other day. I think that shows another factor that he just doesn't want to be there. And if you don't want to be there, you're not gonna do anything for the team. If this is how athletes, especially stars, are going to act when they want to be out on a team, it's not right. How do you think this situation could be maybe fixed? Right now, I think it's too hard to tell, but in some ways I relate to the Le'Veon Bell case a couple years ago where he didn't show up and he didn't want to be on the team, so they released him. But Charles Barkley did say that Ben Simmons needs to get traded out of Philly because his time there is basically over. If he doesn't get traded, when he returns to Philly, it would probably be like a Kevin Durant returning to OKC when he was with the Warriors. Charles Barkley also said it was stupid for the 76ers to suspend Ben Simmons for a game, thinking it'll be okay after that. But how about the Philadelphia fans? How do you think they will react to this whole Ben Simmons situation? I think it brings down the team in a way, or the fans, the morality. You don't want to be, you don't want to watch a player play that doesn't want to be there. It just brings everything down, in my opinion. Who wants to watch a team that is dysfunctional and has someone in there that's being toxic and doesn't want to be there? But I also want to point out that it's Philadelphia fans. They're aggressive. And they had a, I want to flash back to the Capitals Philadelphia ice hockey game in 2016, where they had a tribute where they had light up bracelets, but a bad call led to the fans throwing the things on the ice. Do you think these Philly fans will forgive Ben Simmons? Right now, it's too early to tell. It's clear as day he doesn't want to be there, so why would the fans want him to be there too? He doesn't want to show effort, so why would the fans want to cheer for him? And it's not just the fans cheering for him. Do you, What is your take on the Sixers' front office not paying Ben Simmons for not being there? I think that's fair. He doesn't want to be there and show the work, so why, why should they pay him for not being there? It's not paid leave. Why would they want to pay him? I agree with you there. And how about... Philadelphia Eagles center Jason Kelsey on his take when getting asked what's going on with the Sixers. Well, when Jason Kelsey said, what's going on with the 76ers, Ben Simmons, stuff like that, all that is a total lack of accountability, a lack of owning up to mistakes, and a lack of correcting things. And I think that's what we see clear as day on the floor. Ben Simmons does not want to be there, and he does not want to say that. He just shows it. It's like a little kid. He wants to protest and just wear sweatpants to a game with his phone in his pocket. He doesn't want to be there. Let's move on to something cool we found. Yeah, Chris Taylor of the Los Angeles Dodgers hit three home runs in Game 5 of the NLCS versus the Atlanta Braves. That ties the record of only being 11 players to hit three home runs in a single postseason game. He joined players like Babe Ruth, Reggie Jackson, Albert Pujols, and Jose Altuve, and others. Taylor was also the first ever to record three arm runs in an elimination game. Now let's talk about the game of the week and the matchup to watch. My game of the week is like we said before, I think the Bengals versus Ravens game, and my matchup to watch is Jamar Chase versus Marlon Humphrey in that secondary. Yeah, I think everybody's game of the week is the Bengals versus the Ravens. However, my matchup to watch is the Ravens' defense versus electrifying Joe Mixon's run game. I think that will be a great thing to watch. Now that will do it for us. This has been the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Luca DeLosta. And I'm Zach Green. Thanks for listening.